0: First off, I would like to wish everyone a Happy New Year. Your support through 2023 has been tremendous. I love to celebrate and recognize some of the wins we've had. The first, downloads in over 98 countries around the world. We hosted our first international meetup in Lisbon, Portugal. Another highlight was our partnership with Adobe to host Technically Speaking Live at their HQ in San Francisco. I personally had the first international speaking engagement, so that was a really cool experience going to Southern Germany. We've surpassed over 400 YouTube subscribers and we have 14 paid subscribers on Patreon. Thank you so much. And you can always subscribe to the Patreon and support the podcast. By checking out the show notes or heading to patreon.com slash technically speaking hw you can support today for as little as three dollars a month so many amazing things in 2023 but we will turn our sites into 2024 and we're going to do it bigger and better with that said let's kick off the next episode my name is harrison wheeler and this is the technically speaking podcast I sit down with BIPOC designers, entrepreneurs, and technologists. We discuss careers, triumphs, their resilience, and the why behind their decisions. In a rapidly changing market, it's more important than ever to stand out to make a lasting impression. Personal branding is the key to showcasing your unique perspective and identity. Chris Doe shares his insights on the power of personal branding and how it can help individuals navigate the evolving employee landscape. Chris also shares his own experience with coaching and the benefits of investing in mentorship. He encourages listeners to start now and take action towards their goals, reminding us that our future selves will thank
1: us for it. I started doing content at 42. I started doing public speaking, maybe right around that same time and I'm 51. So I've got nine years in the game do i have another 31 years of my life to be able to do this to catch up to where erwin is i don't know so my only real desire is this is working for me i wish i was doing it when i was 19. but that's the age where most of us are like i don't have anything to say i'm so insecure i'm so afraid of what's going to happen but that's exactly when you need to start Mm. so that's my message to everybody if you've been thinking about writing something about doing public speaking creating content coaching, doing workshops, whatever it is that you want to do, start now. Your future self will thank you for it.
0: And with that, let's get into the show. I have Christo on the podcast today. Uh, He's a legend. If you don't know who he is, he's a personal branding coach, obviously amazing designer, host of the successful uh, podcast, the future, and it's a huge community as well. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. One of the things I always do with the show, I like to kick it off with a few icebreakers. It gives folks to to learn a little bit of a different dimension about you. And sometimes with guests, we've gone on some really interesting pathways. So I always like to kick it off with this one question, and it's, what are you currently obsessed with? And this doesn't have to be anything like tied to your work. It could be a hobby. It might be, could be something that you're listening to. could
1: be something you're watching, but let's start out there. Okay. I'm going to share something light, non-work related. I'm really interested in luxury goods and fashion right now. So I'm crawling Mm. through secondhand websites and apps like Grail, the real, just Yeah, missing out on what's dropped last year and three, five, 10 years earlier. I'm like, oh, I'm late to the game. Can I still get in on this or not? Can you ever catch up though? I think there is a, there's a limit. It's usually by budget.
0: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It will catch up to your
1: budget eventually. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Speaking of, right. Like you have this carousel that you've repurposed over the years around think like Gucci. Yes. And for folks that are listening that may not be familiar, it's really around like luxury goods or luxury brands. Usually their pricing reflects the prestige and and they really rarely, if ever, lower it. And I think one of the pieces you're talking about too is some of the scarcity in terms of even accessing it once it's dropped. So if you were to look at yourself, Chris, though, along with the future, what are some brands that you would maybe associate with in terms of how you think of it?
1: That's a good question. There are things that I I really do love. Like I love precision German engineering. So the European cars are usually designed better, made better, but we're starting to see a resurgence in other countries and especially in America. Like there's some interesting things coming out and I'm enjoying seeing this. And I think the innovation that's happening within the electric car space has opened it up for small manufacturers, more bespoke who can serve a very niche market. I like that. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Is there anyone in particular
1: that catches your eye more than another one? I, I think there's something that's really interesting. that's happening with the cyber truck that it's so mm. anti everything else. And it's very yeah. hard to do something that is so radically different yet intriguing. And I think mm. what, what Elon has done with that particular shape of truck is just to say, you know what, everybody's going one direction, I'm going a different direction and he may be setting a, a shift in the paradigm. Very much yeah. like in the spirit of, say, Steve Jobs, when he's like, this is a tablet. It can fit in this envelope. Check it out. He pulls it out. Right. It's like the form factor, the utility of it, the processing power and what you can do with it. It is just a perfect intersection, overlapping of design, form, function, aesthetic, and yeah. of the moment. And it's pretty cool to see. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think one thing for me that I'm pretty intrigued with right now, have you heard of the AI pin by Humane?
1: No. Oh, what is that?
0: Yeah, it's a new it's a new device. It feels like a new segment, but similar to the first time we saw like a tablet or a, an Apple Watch, for example. Um, but it, essentially, you it's like a little pen that you put on your your piece of clothing. Uh, it has a camera. It leverages AI, and so some of the use cases that they've started to talk to is translation in real time. We've seen these demos before. Somebody mm. picking up a fruit and trying to see what how much protein or nutrients are in it and I actually put a down payment on it so hopefully I get it sometime early next year but I'm looking forward to just seeing just different types of form factors that really push the envelope because we haven't I feel like we haven't seen something like that in quite some time do you
1: feel like we're racing forward to the star trek age where they tap oh. the little symbol and you're talking to people and yeah all our lives I, I are being are. enhanced by a second brain or something like that
0: I, I think we're, we're moving in that direction, right? And I think it like- we're, it's getting to a point where a lot of these small step functions are starting to make sense, right? I think in hardware, especially, we're even seeing this in cars, right? A lot more hand gestures. So gesture controls. We're finally getting out of the phase of just like over-optimization for a single niche. And so yeah, excited for things to come.
1: I'm going to try one of them right now and see if it works. There we go. See, <laughs> you talk about hand gestures. Like- if i do the peace sign my camera will actually turn off oh really
0: (laughs) yeah i know we're already here Mm. Uh, speaking of ai do you think ai
1: will play will replace designers it will replace a lot of what we're doing the repetitive tasks some of the research and some of the summarizations of what it is we're trying to do it will replace some of the mock-ups we can see that happening right now so if you want to build a quick mock-up to test an idea that's happening really fast right now so if you're an old yeah. school concept artist, uh, you 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 have to shift. I don't want to say you have to be worried, but you have to shift because if the machine can do what you do in a fraction of the time at almost no cost, then you have to explore other things. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I'm looking forward to developments in this area as well. It's allowing us to move our minds into other areas that we may not have been focused on because we're too busy working on the foundational layer of things. Yeah. So, look, you've been in the business for over 20 years yes. and then obviously you're running right the future right now are there any projects that you've worked on that really stand out and i'd love to know why there are a
1: couple first of all the projects that are the, the most nutritious for our creative souls come from other artists so when we're working on music mm-hmm. videos it, they're a joy yeah. to work on financially they're terrible but from two creative humans trying to share a common language their yeah. language is sound and music rhythm and harmony Our language Mm. is visuals, pixels, things that move on a screen. And when the two come together, it's magical. I I wish Mm. we were living in the 80s and the 90s when they were literally spending a million dollars per video. That would have made a pretty good fortune for us. But in today's age where uh, album sales aren't what they are or what they used to be and artists don't get very much of it, the the age of the music video, it feels like something had, the internet killed it, the video star, right? Or something like that. So those kinds of projects hold a special place in our heart because it's a moment for us to be part of the zeitgeist to be culturally relevant and there's a there's one project in particular that's outside the music video realm we got to work with with Oppenheimer Funds when we got to do a 360 campaign and that's exciting for me because not only are we designing the print ads newspaper banner ads we're also designing the commercial the brochure creating a lot of assets and to me that's like taking the entirety of this creative force to apply it to yeah. as many things as possible versus a one use thing, which is the commercial.
0: Right. I love that. Yeah. I, I'm, I was, was that kind of like the first project that you've worked on from a 360 perspective? Yeah, like, I think so. On that scale, right? Yeah. If you, Where's somebody like your learnings from touching all these different things that so I'd imagine because of those different modalities, people probably interacted when, with them fairly differently.
1: Yeah, we built a website. We, There's a lot of stuff that we did. And it was interesting ah. on a creative level to figure out how does an idea translate across different formats? Some are static, mm-hmm. some are challenged by scale and format and, and does right. it work? And it's an interesting thing. I remember reading this in one of the books, I think like secrets to advertising part one or something like yeah. that, where they say like when the writers write a campaign, they know they have a hit when they can seemingly generate a hundred ideas. And yeah. so every once in a while, we come upon a visual idea that we're like, can we take this and just do it with text? Can we do it with imagery? And can we, if we were to distill it down to its like atomic level, and if we extract that, and if somebody sees that, they know it's connected to this campaign. It's right. not very often that you're able to hit that, but when you do, it feels super right. rewarding.
0: Huh, huh. Super insightful. I'm sure you weren't expecting those, but I, I'd love to, at least in this episode, I'd really love to start, uh, Diving in a little bit more around branding, because I know that's something that you're extremely passionate about, but I think specifically understanding kind of the market right now. Things are changing so quickly. Organizations are shifting what their focus is. And I think there's a lot of uncertainty, even from a confidence from a designer in terms of understanding, are their skills still relevant? And I'd love for you to maybe talk to number one, what does it mean to show up and brand yourself? Because a lot of times, those are a lot of folks, when they think about the word branding, They think about companies, they think about advertising campaigns. What's the importance of that, especially in terms of just like when we start thinking about like how to stand out in potential resilience?
1: Yeah, I think if we draw some parallel to the corporate world, I think there was a period of time in America where quality was a differentiator. Now quality Mm. is expected. If you can't make a quality product, then there's no point for you to play the game. Right. So now we get to move into the more esoteric things in terms of, okay, so it functions, it's well-crafted, it comes in a good, it comes at a, a fairly competitive price, but then we have a lot of choice now. So why do we choose one brand of phone over another? Is it the specs? Is it how we feel? Is it the design? Or is it yeah. some much more complicated thing? So mm. I think, and let's just pull a, a page from Simon Sinek, Mr. Start with why, right? He's like people yeah. don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Because mm. we trust people who believe what we believe, and this gets into the idea of identity. so if I buy this product, what does that make me? Who am I right. And uh, Ana Lape says everything you every dollar you spend is a vote for the kind of world you want to live in. Mm. Now, if we translate this on a personal level, yeah, there's this idea that your c v are your qualifications or the features, the functions, and you have to know what you're doing that that means you pass the first test, but we can't stop there. So we know this, when we're looking to hire someone, what else are we considering? Not just like what it looks like on paper, because let's face it, a lot of people BS what they put on a piece of paper. Yeah. And it's hard to distinguish one human from the other on a piece of paper. Hence why the leading tech companies have something like 25 interviews or something, because they want to make sure all of you shows up and all of you is aligned, because it doesn't take a lot to ruin the culture of a company. So now we have to get into the things that are much harder to measure that you can't just check off on a box. So you owe it upon yourself to beyond being qualified to do the work, but what perspective do you bring? What about your cultural currency? Can you add to the discussion that maybe they're not seeing and they welcome that, or perhaps they see that as a threat to the system itself where they say, you know what, your kind of perspective, your culture isn't welcome here and we've had problems in the past. So they can choose who they want to build a company around. And it is yeah. my opinion that companies who deliberately choose to be homogenous are, are going to set themselves up for failure. Yeah. Versus yeah. companies that choose for diversity, not because it looks good on a piece of paper, not because the optics are right, but because it's a true competitive advantage.
0: Yeah. So one of the things that I want to touch on, right, you talked about the CV and even the resume, right? Yeah. How does branding show up between the lines
1: of that then? Very good. Okay. So I I think some creatives might get this all mixed up. So let's see if we can't, at least I can share my perspective with you. Sure. So some creative person said, I could design it to look different. I can choose the right typeface, the parchment, Mm -hmm. the colors and all that kind of stuff. That's still very superficial. So then somebody can can add in, what if I write something funny in the cover letter? That's a good start. And I, I think sharing some of your personality your your voice in that what makes you different is is good but now more than ever what some companies may do is they might just search you on social and see what you're doing right so now all the crazy silly stuff that you've done in your past and continue to mm. do so will come back to haunt you or yeah. to help you you know my, yeah. one of my friends um he's a CPA and he and he says some of my clients get into a lot of trouble because they file one thing on their taxes and they show a totally different thing on their feeds and yeah. Auditors are becoming very savvy. They'll sit there and they'll search like, oh, I see. This boat is 90% leisure, not 90% business as you've claimed. So you can understand them, right? So we're connecting those dots. So when a company is looking at you and they're seeing you partying on the weekends, debaucherous behavior, maybe they're a bunch of frat people and they're like, yeah, we love this. And you're just Mm -hmm. the right kind of material for us. Or maybe this is toxic to our culture here and we're going to pass. So what I gather is that it's actually not just what's on paper.
0: It's not just on the website, but it's the full sort of picture, right? I'm going to ask you this because I always I, I always have these discussions. I have a lot of just like mentorship conversations. And one of the things that I tend to hear a lot is I'm afraid to show up or post on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, LinkedIn, I work at LinkedIn. One of the things we hear from a lot of folks at LinkedIn is just, them being afraid to post because that's like where their peers are and potential hiring managers. So, what are what is some advice you might give to folks that might be a little bit more timid? And like, how can we like be a little bit more purposeful around thinking about how we show up?
1: I have to be careful with what I'm about to say because it may not be good advice for a lot of people. Mm. Just keep in mind, I have job security, I, my finances yeah. are okay, and I'm pretty deep into my career. That I don't really have to walk on eggshells anymore, right. but I will say this, if this is who you really are and you feel like you can't be this way, and it's not some imagined thing that you're re- suppressing or repressing your, yourself and how, how you yeah. want to be in the world, this is a problem. So if you volunteer to plant trees and the, the company you're working with doesn't like that, I think you're yeah. at the wrong company. <laughs> Right? Right. And so who you are when you think no one's watching is the real you. And if you can't be really yourself, there's going to be a problem. So if you're left leaning, right leaning, and that's part of your identity and you really feel this way and you feel strongly about it, then go ahead and express it. But to realize something, every decision you make has a consequence. Otherwise there's no point to have a a lens or or perspective on this. It, It wouldn't make any sense. So. If you say something, and we've seen Elon Musk say a couple of things that got people raising their eyebrows, there are consequences to what he says and thinks. And unfortunately, the lives of the people he employs, the technologies that he uses can come under attack. So you don't want to be insensitive about it. You, You don't want to be intolerant of other people. So there are things you want to steer clear from, but if it's like you're really into street art, and you post a lot about that, and somebody fires you for it, or you become undesirable, I think you just have to keep looking.
0: So just shifting gears, another common discussion that I have with folks is I actually had a former guest on the show, and she has moved through the rank. She's a, I think she's actually working as a consultant now. But one of the posts that she had, and that we had a discussion around was just how folks are moving through their careers and how the messaging needs to also adapt to that. And one of the things that I'm seeing specifically is when we start getting into like design leadership, there's not too much of a footprint online. And I know that's a really important part to stand out. So I'm really curious, like how does the conversation, right? Because brands are about starting conversation. How might a conversation shift from somebody that's early in their career, maybe mid in their career, and maybe at a more senior level? Let's go yeah. old school here.
1: Yeah, I think thought leadership starts with writing. And writing can be published on many platforms. It could be done on LinkedIn. It could be done on X or Twitter for a white paper that you write, a keynote that you give based Mm -hmm. on your writing, your thoughts, your observations. It could be a a book that you publish and people do love that. That is one way, especially in academia to say I'm an accomplished person. I put my thought into writing this book and I hope to contribute to the canon of whatever industry or field that I'm in. And I think that's important. So we just go old yeah. school with this and it doesn't have to yeah. be posting weird things that you eat or do on Instagram.
0: Yeah, I think one of the, the challenges for me was, you know, like the perfectionism approach to writing because you generally tend to get at a senior level, you, get, you see a lot of folks that are writing books. You might see a lot of folks that are in academia. And how do you start? Where do you start? Because I think writing just might feel like a pretty big jump for it people.
1: Is. Yeah. Okay. I think this idea I first heard from Seth Godin, I'm sure do my best yeah. to cite the sources here. So forgive me if I'm wrong. I, I think he says something like, in the old way, of writing a book, you would spend mm-hmm. months, if not years crafting something. And then when it gets closer to being published, you'll go on this tour to try to promote the, the book itself. You do a speaking tour, you do panel yeah. discussions, you do those kinds of things. If we look at the modern era now, Isn't it better for us to build the book in public, Mm -hmm. an idea at a time, a story at a time. And then to start to say, this is what the first chapter might sound like. And write that way. You're building an audience along with you that is eagerly anticipating the publishing of the book so that they can go out and grab a copy. I'm spacing on her name right now, but I think her name is Dr. Uh, The Holistic Psychologist. She yeah. has millions of followers. And when I first found out about her account, I think she had a million and a half. She's way into the millions now. And yeah. she hadn't published a book at that point, but she was writing pretty prolifically on Instagram. And so when yeah. she dropped her first book, people were all over this thing. We had it. Yeah. They had to have it. And then now she's got her second book and there, and she showed this shot of a like book signing. The yeah. room was filled with people. So now we don't want to discover you as an author. We want to go along the ride with you. And that's a big difference there. Yeah.
0: I almost find that similarity, not to say that what we're doing is a joke, but comedians, they do that quite a bit, right? They're testing jokes in different sort of venues. And you might go to a show and then once you see their Netflix best, you're like, oh, I definitely heard that joke before. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I love that advice. Because I, I, think, I think for me, I always had an issue of how I show up in the perception of how others would think. Because maybe I was going to thinking that I needed to be an expert right out the gate. But I think there is something to what you said, like contributing and just feeding that and getting into the habit. And you never know who's watching and who might resonate.
1: And yeah. I just want to say this because... I don't want to tell you there's a theory and it's just theoretical. I wrote a bunch of tweets with no intention except for to say, here's a thought that I have. Sometimes it's a challenging thought. Sometimes it's a message of just to affirm your existence and everything will be okay. Get you through a dark spot. And then my community started saying, Hey, we love what you're writing. Can you write a book? So my approach to it was to scrape all of my old tweets and figure out Mm. which ones got the most engagement. Yeah. And one of my team did that for me. And then from that formed a foundation of what I was going to write about, I'll organize it around these six chapters. And then from that, I'll look at the tweets that perform well, and I'll just take that idea and expand on it. Yeah. So the way my book is written, it's written as a self-contained idea for each page organized right. around six principles. And I think that there's a lot of people who could read that and say, look, I don't have to read this book from cover to cover. I can focus on the chapter I want, or just the one page. And in the book itself, I say the point of this book is for you to read it one page at a time process and be a slow digestion thing versus speed reading through it, you'll get more of it, more from it that way. So I'm actually practicing what I preach. So when we went Mm -hmm. to do the Kickstarter to fund the book, to make sure that there's an audience for it, people showed up because I'd been doing this in public.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I love like doing things in public. That's like a theme that we're hearing a bit. We've heard over the past few years, like specifically in product design, how folks are starting to feel. I think Twitter was going through that for a little bit. This is pre-Elon, but they were testing new features like audio rooms. Right. And they were hearing feedback from folks and they were making changes within weeks. And so you can almost apply that to so many different things because I think too,
1: it's like how the messaging resonates with folks. If you look at the way that people approach product development now. Yeah, It's like you can work in secrecy for days, months, and years and release something and then yeah. collect the feedback, or you can just release a product and keep iterating on it so that you know yeah. that there's a market for it and there are, there are blind spots that you're going to have that you can't anticipate. Yeah, It's, it, it's like uh, the cognitive bias of the curse of knowledge. Because it's right. easy for you now, you assume everybody can do it. And as a teacher, yeah. I'm telling you right now... Uh, I think it's all going to work. I always think this, and then you give it to real people, and it doesn't work at all. And they yeah. say the craziest things. They do the craziest things. And now you're going back in to try to like foolproof this thing, right? And you're you're making patches. And I think there's a different way of developing. So develop in yeah. public, iterate as you go, and in this way, your audience is bought in, and you have like really great use case and feedback from an audience that is going to actually be you util- using your product or service.
0: Yeah. And it's also less expensive in the long run, Mm -hmm. right? Because you're getting that feedback early and often.
1: That's right. You're
0: really passionate about learning. One of the services that you offer is coaching. And you were obviously inspired to get into coaching because you had coaching yourself. Take us through like the importance of it. I'd love to understand specifically like how that changed how you approach things. We might go out there, we might feel confident about our work, but sometimes it does take having like a, a, a different sort of lens to push us,
1: right? Yes. I think people fall into potentially one of two groups. The first group says, you know what? The only way I can learn is through experience itself. And there's a bunch of these yahoos and gurus and false fake gurus and all that kind of stuff. It's like, why am I listening to them? I'm going to save this hard-earned money and I'm just going to go through it. If it takes me longer, so be it. So I think they become very... money smart, but but time stupid, right? So we're saving money, but we're losing time. So I have many friends that fall into that category. They don't hire coaches. It doesn't occur to them that this is a good use of money. They're like, no, I'll do it myself. I got it. I got Mm it. But they're not entirely consistent either because they all went to school too. So why'd you go to school if you're such a believer in the DIY approach? You're an autodidact, whatever, right? Then the second group seems to say, Money, money needs to be spent to acquire the knowledge because what it does is it buys me time. Mm-hmm. I can get product to market faster. I can avoid unnecessary mistakes because I would like to learn from someone who can see the steps ahead and warn me that there's going to be a hole or a detour that's coming up that I can't see because I've never been there. Right. And so you have to decide for yourself, am I going to be always in one camp or the other? And I think the healthiest approach is a blend of the two. Yeah, get some direction, get some coaching and mentorship, but don't make that your whole life thing. Like now you can't make decisions without someone. And right. some people do become addicted to getting coached and learning. And they take course after course, workshop after workshop, which then defeats the purpose because now right. they have no time to apply what so they've apply learned. It.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Was that? You don't have time to do specifically, yeah. but what was the moment that you decided this was like the perfect time for me to do it? Was there any sort of crossroads you were at?
1: Yeah, there there was uh, probably two or three circumstances that made me say, this is the moment. Number one, mm. when you start to hit a plateau in, in anything, yeah. working out, in finances, in your relationship, whatever it is, you have to start asking yourself, does it go up or down from here? And do I want to do something about it? Yeah. So for me in my business, we were hitting about two... million a year for two years in a row. I'm like, I'm tired of this. Wow! It isn't, I'm done with this. I want to go to the next level. And we were losing pitches that were north of $200,000. Anything Mm. below we can win. And I couldn't figure out why when it gets to three, four, 500,000, we're just losing those pitches all the time. And it's demoralizing to do that. Factor number two, despite it being $2 million in revenue, a lot of it was high profit. So I was thinking this is a great time I'm yeah. more courageous when I have money in the bank, when the runway's longer. Right. We, we know this, and the data seems to support this, that companies in the Fortune 500 tend to spend more, outspend their competitors by some factor in terms of R&D. Right. The rich get richer because they spend the money in development. This is really important. So hmm. when you have a good year, when you feel like you could do more and you, you're, you're starting to hit a plateau... That's a pretty good time, I think, to invest so they can get to the yeah. next level. Well, towards
0: the end of the show, I'd love to ask you, is there anything, maybe some high-level advice you'd
1: wanna to give to listeners? High-level advice. Okay, if, if I could travel back in time, what would I do differently? Obviously, I wouldn't be the same person if I did it differently, but I recently yeah. met a pastor, his name is Irwin McManus, and he runs a, a, a mega church here in Los Angeles. And he's a powerful speaker. He's an incredible storyteller. Naturally, of course, he's super charismatic. He's had a rich and full life. And when I talked to him, he said, Chris, I've been doing this for 40 plus years. So his speaking game is like here and I'm just like a baby crawling, right? Because I've only done public speaking now, maybe for six to seven years, maybe a little bit more than that, but. Not yeah. at the frequency in which he's delivering talks. He's literally 200%. doing a talk a week yeah, for 40 yeah. years. So he's put in the reps. He's put in right. the miles. If I aspire to be the kind of speaker that he is, which I do, I want to move people with my words. I want mm-hmm. to be able to drop into room 30 minutes of prep, and I'm going to have a killer talk that's going to get people the transformation they desire. And so yeah. all I can say is I started doing content at 42. I started doing public speaking maybe right around that same time. And I'm 51. So I've got nine years in the game. Do I have another 31 years of my life to be able to do this, to catch up to where Erwin is? I don't know. So my only real desire is this is working for me. I wish I was doing it when I was 19, but that's the age where most of us are like, I don't have anything to say. I'm so insecure. I'm so afraid of what's going to happen, but that's exactly when you need to start. So that's my message to everybody. If you've been thinking about writing something, about doing public speaking, creating content, coaching, doing workshops, whatever it is that you want to do, start now. Your future self will thank you for it.
0: Boom. Amazing. Dro- you just dropped the mic. And by the way, you're not a shabby speaker yourself, by the way, but I love that motivation for continuously improving.
1: It's a really great discussion. Where can folks find you on the web? Um, if you're interested in any of the, the offerings that we have, please go to thefuture.com. Future spelled F-U-T-U-R, we couldn't afford the E, so it's just future.com. <laughs> and if you want to look for me personally, I'm on almost every social channel there is, at the Chris Doe, that's my last name Doe, it's spelled D-O. All
0: right, we'll include all of those links for the listeners in the show notes. Chris, once again, thank you for hopping on the show and sharing those words of wisdom.
1: Have a good one. It's my pleasure, Harrison. Thank you very much.
0: That concludes the show. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That is a huge way to show your support. And it really helps us reach more people and grow our following. By the way, we release a new episode every two weeks. But in the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, or YouTube at Technically Speaking HW. Again, thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. This has been a production of Technically Speaking Media.